Amen. Amen. Last Sunday, we began a a very brief two-part mini-series on the subject of the power and the influence of attitude. Did you realize that there is very little difference in people, but the little difference that you do find makes a big difference, and the little difference you notice between people is their attitude. It's been, uh, we're not going to attempt to review everything we said last week to kind of introduce the subject, but let me just remind you of a couple of statements that we made and read a couple of scriptures to you. First of all, a Uh, An insurance tycoon from many, many years ago named Clement Stone once coined this phrase. He said, life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we respond to what happens to us. And they went on to say, it's not what happens to me that matters, but it's what happens in me that really matters. How many of you discovered that that's true? Life is not so much about what happens to you, it's how you respond to what happens to you. Winston Churchill is known for saying, attitude is a little thing that makes a big difference. Some people cast off the idea of attitude as being inconsequential and not really with any substantive effect upon one's life. But attitude can make all the difference in the world between success and failure, between living a life as a victorious Christian and living just a dull, discouraged, mediocre existence. And so today we want to get back into this subject of attitude, and I'll tell you the two things that we want to accomplish today. But first of all, a couple of scriptures that uh, you're probably familiar with. This one in particular from Proverbs 23 and verse 7 tells us, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What does that teach us? It tells us that there's a direct correlation between our attitudes and life. Our behavior, the way we live life, and actually the results in our life. There is a correlation with the attitudes of our mind and heart. The scripture also tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 23, as it's speaking about us in our new life in Christ as Christians, it tells us that we are to be made new in what? And the attitude of our minds. And so I think we can see that the mind and attitudes are vitally important. We explained last week that attitudes really are a combination or a convergence of both our thoughts and our emotions. That's what helps to make up attitude. What you must realize is that in your mind and in your attitude is the primary place of Satan's attack. Until you realize that it's one of his primary battlegrounds, you really will find yourself uh, subject to that battlefield and losing the battle. Few Christians realize this, and they do very little to guard their thought life and their own attitudes. So what I want to do this morning is two things. One, I want to share with you some specific attitudes for you to develop. I'm going to offer to you five, and you could add another dozen, but I'm going to give you five this morning. Five attitudes that are biblically based that we should make every effort to try to develop. And the second thing I'm going to address is how do you do it? How do you change your attitude? How do you develop an outstanding attitude in life? I'm going to give you some suggestions and some techniques 
for doing just that. But let's start with some attitudes, all right? Number one is a rejoicing attitude. Number one, a rejoicing attitude. I thought I would start with a negative verse, and then I'll go positive, all right? So the, the, the verse that tells us what we shouldn't do is Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14, and it says what? Do everything without complaining or arguing. Now, I don't know about you, but that pretty well covers it, doesn't it? Do you realize how difficult it is to live and to not complain or argue? How you know that is pretty much a daily challenge, wouldn't you agree? I mean, my gosh, do everything without complaining. Or, and he cuts us no slack at all. He doesn't say at work, don't complain. He doesn't say don't argue with your spouse, just that. He just throws it all in together. And he says in life, everything together, don't complain and don't argue. Wow. How in the world can you live without having a complaint or argument-based existence? Well, the only answer is to develop the right attitudes. And the replacement attitude instead of a complaining attitude. Do you all know how much Christians complain, by the way? I mean, I wish I could tell you that I see a lot of difference between Christians and non-Christians when it comes to complaint quotient. I don't see a whole lot. In fact, I, I hear Christians complain. In fact... I'm one of them. I, I complain far more than I should, and I'll catch myself, and I go, my gosh, the last couple hours, all I've done is complain. <laughs> I mean, we got a lot to complain about, don't we? I mean, we can come up with stuff, right? You can make a list this morning of things that you want to complain about. But the Bible teaches us that the power is in rejoicing. Right. Notice this admonition that Paul gives us in the, same, in the same epistle. He says, rejoice in the Lord always all-encompassing once again. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Now, why do you think he had to repeat himself? Because that's a hard thing to do, isn't it? And notice that it does not say rejoice when everything is going well. Notice it doesn't say when you're getting along with everybody and life's treating you well and you got plenty of this and plenty of that and everything's going away right here, then you can rejoice. No, he simply says rejoice always. That is not easy. But that is an attitude that we need to, re- that we need to adopt. Rejoicing is not just an action. It, it is to rejoice, and there's different ways you rejoice, but rejoicing can be an underlying attitude that governs your life. A rejoicing attitude is an attitude that says this, it's not based on circumstances, it may not be going well, but I am choosing to count it joyful. James tells us to count it all joy when we fall into various trials and difficulties and troubles. He didn't say it was good. He didn't say it was enjoyable. He simply said, consider it joyful. Say, how do you do that? It's a choice. And we'll talk a little bit more about making that choice in a moment. But rejoicing in the Lord always is an attitude. And I think Christians ought to be the most joyful people on earth. I think we ought to be the people who have an attitude that is rejoicing. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Let's look at attitude number two. Number two is a servant attitude. A servant attitude. Now, I want to clarify this for you. We want to look at a passage of Scripture from uh, Philippians chapter 2 that speaks about Jesus and 
and how and and kind of some of the doctrinal theological big picture points of his incarnation him coming to earth and it speaks about his servanthood but what i want to emphasize to you is that there is a difference between serving and having a servant attitude in fact i know people that will serve with a bad attitude you know what I'm saying? They will go through the act of serving. Oh, I'm serving. I'm doing my part. Or I'm, I'm doing this or I'm doing that or I'm doing that. But on the inside, they're complaining. Right. On the inside, they're saying, man, I wish I was somewhere else. I can't believe I'm having to do this. I mean, this is really beneath me. And all the time, the attitude is wrong. The action may look good, but on the inside, the attitude is wrong. Right. So what I'm getting at here is I think we need to adopt a servant attitude. It will result in you doing service. It will result in the right behaviors. But I think we need to go to the root of the issue. So let me read to you a little bit more than is on the screen. I want to read to you from Philippians chapter 2 beginning in verse 3. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says to these Christians. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. He said, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Have the same attitude. And then... He breaks it down, and this is where it sounds a little theological, but, but if you just really break it down, you'll get it. He said, Jesus, who being in the, very in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in a human likeness. So what do we learn from that? We're told basically how we ought to be reacting, responding to one another, how we ought to handle relationships, and then we're given the example of Jesus. And Paul says, listen, what you need to do is adopt the same attitude that Jesus had. And then he unpacks it, and he said, Jesus, who, of course, was God, but he was willing to lay that aside certain privileges, if you will, of his deity. He laid them aside, and he took upon himself humanity. And he became man so he could identify with us and assume our penalty for sin. But not only did he take on our humanity, it says that he took on this very nature of a servant, the very nature. How many of you think that included attitude? He didn't just come and say, all right, well, I'll just, you know, I'm here to please my father. So, you know, I got to feed the 5,000. <laughs> uh, let's go heal a few people today. No, 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 no. He had a attitude of service. It was his nature. And so here we're told that he his very nature was that of a servant. The word here for servant is the Greek word doulos. It means servant or bond slave. It's the idea of not having any rights. Giving up rights and being willing to act 
and do out of a, a, an attitude that is a servant attitude. I believe we need more Christians today who have servant attitudes. A servant attitude is not just for certain people, it's for everybody. Leaders, I don't care how much authority or how much position or how much power you have in your company, you need to be an example to others by being a servant. A servant attitude is definitely an attitude you need to work on developing. Number three, a forgiving attitude. A forgiving attitude. What is a forgiving attitude? Ephesians chapter 4 reminds us that what we need to do uh, in this regard when he says, uh, get rid of all bitterness. Just get rid of it. Get rid of rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. That's pretty inclusive, would you agree? Then he adds, here's the positive side, be kind. God help us be kind. We need some more kind people in this world. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving one another. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. So clearly the Bible calls us to forgive, right? So we know if someone offends us, if someone uh, does something against us, we're to forgive. That is an act of forgiving, and we have to do that. And if you don't stay clean with keeping up your forgiveness, those offenses will, grow, will, will pile up on you, and it will mess up your life, okay? So you cannot afford to be unforgiving. You cannot afford to hold on to root of bitterness. But what I'm saying here is something even deeper than that. I want to suggest that we work on developing an attitude of heart that is constantly just flowing with forgiveness. The best illustration I can give you is Jesus on the cross. We all know that Jesus was perfect. He was sinless. We know that Jesus, you know... the. It would have been sin for Jesus to be bitter, right? So we know he never got bitter. Say, so, well, how is that possible? How could Jesus never be unforgiving? With all the stuff that he had to take, with all the treatment that he got, and yet he's hanging on the cross at the apex of the mistreatment and suffering, and he says what? Father, just forgive him. Father, forgive them. He noticed. He wasn't doing the forgiving, actually. He was, asking, he was asking his heavenly father, Father, please don't hold this against them. Father, forgive them. They don't have a clue what they're doing. They don't know who I am. Father, forgive them. And I've oftentimes asked myself, Jesus did not need to repent of unforgiveness for how he's been treated. Why? He was perfect and sinless. How can you be that way? The only way is to have a continual flow of a forgiving spirit. What a forgiving spirit will do for you is you won't have to spend as much time repenting and forgiving To get it right, see, because the forgiveness that's flowing out of you, the attitude will just be like, you know, someone says something rude to you and it just like, it just, it just rolls right off. So I, I don't even, I don't even let it penetrate me. Why? I have a forgiving spirit. Now I'm telling you something that is, that is not easy, but I really think we'd do ourselves a favor if we'd work on developing a forgiving spirit towards others. 
And uh, I think that's part of what Paul is challenging us to do here. All right, you ready for the next one? Number four, a humble attitude. A humble attitude. Humility means putting God and the interest of others above mine. The opposite of a humble attitude is an arrogant, prideful, self-based attitude, which uh, if you've run into it before, you know what I'm talking about. It really stinks, doesn't it? Yeah. You, you pick up on it real quick when someone has that haughty, arrogant, pride-based attitude, that attitude that says, that thinks, I'm really better than you are. I know more than you do. I'm, I have this and you don't have... That kind of thing stinks. All right? Let's, let's make it King James. It stinketh. <laughs> and what does the Bible tell us? There's a lot of things we could say that the Bible tells about humility. But for example, Proverbs 16, 19 says, It's better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Humility and fear, Proverbs 22. Humility and fear of the Lord will bring wealth and honor and life. How many of y'all want wealth and honor and life? Everybody want that? All right. It says humility and the fear of the Lord will bring that to your life. Romans 12 warns us that we should not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. What's he addressing? We have a tendency to either... It's kind of two extremes. We have a tendency as humans to either think too high of ourselves or we think too low of ourselves. Both are sinful. Both are wrong. Instead, the idea here in Romans 12 is there's a balanced assessment and judgment of who of how you need to think of yourself and by all means we need to know that we're in christ jesus now as believers right but he tells us that we don't be careful that you don't think too highly of yourself what that's that arrogant thing instead it's an attitude of humility by the way an attitude of humility is not an attitude of of uh, woe is me you know what I'm saying? An attitude that says, oh, I just can't do anything. Another, and, you know, it's kind of despondent, depressed, and low like that. No, it doesn't mean that at all. You could have, did you know that there is nothing incompatible between having confidence in Christ and yet having humility? You can be an extremely humble person and yet be very confident. Do you understand the difference? So, Lord, help us to become more humble. Humble yourselves that he will do the exalting, right? In his time, he'll do the exalting. What we're asked to do is to humble ourselves. Number five. Number five, we need to have an overcoming attitude. I just couldn't come up with a better term for this attitude I'm speaking of here. I'm talking about an attitude that is based on the victory of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us as his people. The Bible teaches us, Romans chapter 8, 37, for example, teaches us that we are what? Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's what God's saying about you. God said that you are more than a conqueror through him who loves you. Doesn't that speak of a, of, a, of a life of victory? Doesn't that mean that you are an overcomer, right? 
1 John teaches us that if you're born of God, you've overcome. You're an overcomer because you're born of God. So why shouldn't we think like overcomers? Instead, we think defeated. Instead, we think, woe is me. Instead, we think, well, I'll somehow get through. I'm just going to pull it, you know, just somehow we'll make it through. No, the Lord wants you to think like an overcomer. Think like more than a conqueror. Amen? How do we do that? We know it comes through Jesus. It isn't your own achievement. It's not because of how sharp you are. It's because of what Jesus has done for us. Amen? And because of what he's done for us, I can think like an overcomer. And that will cause me to carry myself differently. It causes me to deal with issues and circumstances and adversity differently if I have an overcoming attitude. I could also call it a winning attitude. I want to ask you, on those five attitudes, how many of those attitudes are, have a prevailing effect and in influence in your life? And if not, if they don't, if they're not enough to have a prevailing effect, I would strongly encourage you, target these as attitudes that you need to develop. All right, you ready for the second half? I'm going to tell you how to develop an outstanding attitude. All right, here's how to develop it. I, I might normally spend a seminar on this or several messages, but I'm going to give it to you succinctly. All right, so pay close attention. I'm going to give you some steps towards developing an outstanding attitude. Let's be reminded first what the scripture tells us. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, the scripture says what? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind the renewing of your mind uh, before i give you the steps let me uh, just quote joyce meyer in her best-selling book battlefield of the mind which i've always been amazed ever since it's been released and published which i don't remember it was back in the early 90s or something like that uh has been on the top 100 best-selling christian book list it's just amazing i think it's simply because it's where people live and, and that's why it's, it's a bestseller. And I'm just going to quote Joyce in just one small paragraph. Listen to what she said. Since we fail to identify the battlefield, we also fail to correctly identify our foe. We tend to believe people, money, religion, the system are all our problems. And in an attempt to defend ourselves, we build strongholds in our minds, in our thinking. Strongholds are simply areas of thinking that are not based on God's truth, but lies. Instead of protecting us, they actually will imprison us. Unless we renew our mind, we risk continuing to believe those lies and making important decisions based on deceptions. Isn't that powerful? So, The battlefield is right here. Right here between our ears is where the battlefield takes place. And if we can learn to overcome here, if we can learn to properly deal with strongholds, and many of us have attitudinal strongholds that have been set up in our mind, it's wrong thinking, it's stinking thinking, it's thinking that's based on lies and non-truths, it's not based upon the Word of God. And when we do that, we'll always have problems with attitude. So, let me give you the steps. Number one, I shared this one with you last week as a bit of a teaser, all right? Number one, take responsibility. 
Take responsibility for your attitude. A lot of people want to blame it, shove it out of their control, but the first rule in winning is always what? Don't beat yourself. So we have to assume a responsibility for our attitude. Mama's not going to do it. Kids aren't going to do it for you. Supervisor's not going to do it for you. And I guarantee you, your pastor's not going to do it for you. (laughs) You have to be responsible for your own attitude. All right? Number two, choose to change your attitudes. This is very vital. The desire, did you know that the desire to change is a key to growth in every area of life? You say, well, I messed up in this area of my life. Yeah, but do you want to change it? Are you ready to change it? Ironically, most people want improvement, but they don't want change. I mean, it's just a fact. People will say all day long how they desire to improve. But when it comes down to change, they resist it. And so in order to change attitudes and develop outstanding attitudes, you've got you've to choose to change your attitude. This is a quality decision. This is the activation of your will. This is like a car that's parked, isn't going anywhere until you put it into gear, right? This is you putting into gear, into action, something in your life. I'm choosing to change this, this attitude or these attitudes. Number three, identify wrong thought patterns. Now, all of us have wrong thought patterns. After a while, a pattern of thinking, an attitude pattern or a pattern of thinking will actually become a stronghold. A stronghold is simply a place that is it's built up with defenses. It's fortified. It's on the inside of your mind. It's in your psyche, and it's built up to where it's very defended, and it's hard to break down. It, it, become, it becomes addictive. It becomes a part of your, your default behavior. You just normally go there. Your mind will just go there until somebody does something with that stronghold. And after you develop enough pattern of thinking in a certain area, the devil will help. He'll come along and say, all right, if you, you know, you're going to choose that way of thinking. I'll come along and I'm going to send this spirit and I'm going to send this demon. And I'm going to send this. And then I'm going to, I'm going to reinforce that with my demonic uh, uh, powers in your life. Then now what are you going to do? You see what I'm getting at? You have to identify what are they. So if the attitude is a complaining attitude or if the attitude is a stingy attitude, you've got to confront it. You've got to identify it. And by the way, I'd suggest you not make some attempt to kind of clean your house all in one week. All right. How many of y'all have a room? How many of y'all have a room that's like, that's why I, I just don't even look at it. Y'all know what I'm talking about? How many of y'all have a room or a closet that you don't want anybody to look at? Come on, be honest. Y'all lying to me today. Lying to me today. All of us have that. And we have plenty of those things in our own lives, right? So my advice is don't try to totally clean that room or the garage, whatever it is. In one day, you're not going to pull it off. It ain't going to happen. All right? So I suggest identify one. 
Let's work on that for a while, all right? Let's work on that for a while. Let's get some victory and a good, put a win under your belt, all right? And then when you see, hey, this stuff really works, then there's probably a litany of others that you can work on as well. Am I right? And I got my list. I know that, all right? So you have to identify the wrong thought pattern. Now, I want you to look at, at this scripture. And I know my time's out, so I got to bring this to a close. The way you determine whether a thought pattern is right or wrong is you compare it to truth. If it is unbiblical, if it doesn't agree with God's view, then that becomes an attitude you need to attack. That's what has to be changed. So the way we vet it, the way we assess is we compare it always to truth. And what is truth? God's word. All right? So here's a scripture that's a shocking scripture, and I don't have time to retell the story, but it's a dialogue between Jesus and Peter, one of his leaders. And I can picture them walking down the road together. Jesus has started telling them about his, his plans to go to the cross. He was going to have to suffer for them. And Simon Peter, bold, audacious as he was, spoke up. As he typically did. Always spoke up, you know. At least, at least he was honest. So he speaks up and says, there is no way, Jesus. There is no way we're going to let you go to the cross. So just, we're going we're, we're to take care of this. And do you know what Jesus did? He spun around and he said, get behind me, devil. Now you say, was he calling Peter a devil? No. But he was calling out the source of the influence on his thoughts. He was going deep. Jesus always wants to go deep. He was going deep. Peter was up here. Jesus was like that. He said, devil, get behind me. He was identifying the source, what was influencing his thinking. Okay? And he, that's what he did. And then he said to Peter, he said, you, Peter, are an offense to me because you're not thinking God's thoughts. You have allowed the enemy, to begin to control your thoughts. He said, you're not thinking the thoughts of God, but you're thinking the thoughts of men. You've allowed that to get up here. And he was rebuking the source, but then he also rebuked Peter, didn't he? He said, you're just not thinking right. You know, if all of us could understand that the way we, we control and change attitudes and thinking is, we've got to identify this. We've got to find out where are our thoughts inconsistent with God's thinking. Sometimes I just ask myself, am I thinking like God? Usually the answer is no. <laughs> no. Are y'all getting this? All right. So, so we said that the, the step is what? To identify wrong thought patterns. Number four, take authority over the attitude strongholds. So once you identify where there's a stronghold, then use the authority you have in Jesus Christ, use the weapons that he's given to you, and then you are to take authority over that attitude, over that stronghold. So this scripture explains how we do that in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. And it says that the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have, our weapons have what? Divine power. To demolish 
strongholds. I like the King James there, really. It says the pulling down of strongholds. Strongholds is that fortification of thoughts and attitudes. We have the power to pull them down. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought, every thought, every attitude, and we make it captive by making it obedient to Christ. That's how it's done. So that's what I mean by taking dominion and authority over these strongholds. And once you've done that, you can do the final step, which number five. Then after you take authority over, you address it, you identify it, you address it, take authority over you. You say, I'm pulling you down. I'm demolishing you today because I have the weapons of God on my behalf. Then you do one more thing. And that is you replace that attitude or that thought with what God says. So if it's been a fearful attitude, then you're going to replace it with the right thinking, which is what? God's not given me a spirit of fear, but love, power, and a sound mind. Sarah was quoting that to me uh, after the first service, uh, Stacy, to give me her memory verse. I said, well done. That's a good scripture. God's not given us a spirit of fear beloved power and a sound mind. But that's God's thought. So what I do is I replace, I need to have something to replace it. You don't want to go around trying to live with a vacuum. We can't live with a vacuum. So we take down the bad strongholds. We build up the right stronghold, which is what God's truth says. And then we force every thought and attitude to conform to that new stronghold of truth. Am I making any sense here today? All right, our time is up, so I hope I am. All right, so let's, let's, let's stand together. And I know I've thrown a lot at you, but I'm telling you, not only does your attitude, is it a huge difference maker, but we have the ability and the wisdom from God to do something about it. And that's good news. Amen? I'm going to ask that our prayer teams would come forward at this time and just take their place across the front here. There are people in this room that I'm certain have needs. You have needs for prayer. You need God to do something in your life. You may need an extraordinary miracle. You may need some kind of a breakthrough. Don't just, don't just leave without letting someone pray with you about it. These are trained prayer teams here that want to pray with you and for you. And so I encourage you just to, with a need, maybe it's salvation. Maybe you just need to come to Jesus today. Maybe you need to rededicate your life to Christ. They're available to pray with you and over you in any of these areas. So as we close the service, please take advantage of them. All right. And their availability here to pray with you today. Praise God. Can I just pray over us right now regarding our attitudes? If you feel that God has spoken to you or convicted you about bringing your attitudes under uh, a new Lordship and pulling down old strongholds just raise your hand as i pray father we acknowledge today that we uh we have areas of growing to do when it comes to our attitudes and lord we know that the victory is won or lost right there in the mind and so we just pray today for a, a decision to be made a quality choice to be made when it comes to certain attitudes Lord, you've given us some good target attitudes to go after. And Lord, I pray that we would make the right decision and we'd have the ability to identify them and then apply this strategy we've talked through today. Lord, I pray victory and blessing. And I pray for an honesty in each of us that we would continue to grow up in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen.